what you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. travelers and welcome once again to the before and after show as always i'm your co-host mj smith and i'm your other co-host ryan buell welcome back sir hi it's good to be back we're here today to talk about after Bloodfather. um Bloodfather is a film from 2016 starring mel gibson it's available on uh, vod and dvd uh, it came out a little bit earlier in the year but nothing of note really came out this last weekend so we had a hole in our schedule and circled back around to this movie that we've been wanting to talk about but before we do that we have a couple orders of business uh to attend to uh first off what have you been watching this last week uh not a whole heck of a lot okay uh i did watch the first seven episodes of supergirl okay on netflix that's a pretty fun show um they did the character right and it's just kind of a fun it's in the same genre as like arrow flash Mm. um dc legends of tomorrow i think is what it's called yes uh so it's in the same thing so it's it's it was a lot of fun to, to watch through that um and i've been watching tim allen's last man standing which oh, is oh yeah you talked pretty, about that last week it's it's just a light kind of fun tv sitcom to just kind of kick back and watch through like an easy half hour show to yeah, throw on just, when they're doing stuff yeah it doesn't require a whole lot of thought process but it's still entertaining and so that's what i mainly have had time for yeah. to watch in the last couple weeks so how about you and your 8 million movies? I'm sure you've seen. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's see. I actually delayed working on an article for uh, Word of the Nerd uh, tonight so I could finish up this one. Uh, so I guess I'll talk about it. Um, I ended up watching a four-hour documentary about the history of hip-hop. Whoa. It's called The Evolution of Hip-Hop. It's on Netflix. Um, it's four 45 minute episodes so it's not quite four hours but i watched two yesterday and two today um i love all kinds of music um Mm -hmm. it's not something i get to talk about as often anymore i was really into music in high school um and it's been it's more of an effort the older i get i notice to like break yourself out of like oh i'm just listening to the same seven people over and over again (laughs) Um, try something new yeah, and so one of the few genres that I hadn't really cracked into until the last uh, five years or so was uh, hip-hop and rap. Uh, never really liked it, um, and then started researching it. And then once you, once I have, like, a story that kind of emotionally anchors me to something, I can get more into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started listening to some of the classics, and um, I kind of always grew up around it because I'm half uh, Mexican and and. My, the Mexican half of my family was super into it. So I kind of like remembered some songs from the early 90s, but never really got super into that kind of stuff. Um, it was around in high school. It was really popular in my high school. And so it's one of those genres that's kind of always been around for me, but yeah. I was never like a part of. Yeah. And so I was like, eh, maybe I'll check this out. And so <laughs> I got, I'm not like a huge hip hop head. Like some, like I know some people that are crazy. Like it's like sports to them. Uh, <laughs> you know, but I'm, I'm one of those people that just has like, I have, like, the canon on my iPod, you know? Like, the Tribe Called Quest and Wu-Tang and those kinds of people. <laughs> These are all names that are quite far <laughs> into the punk rock kid in me. Um, and so, 
I love music history, no matter what genre it is, because I think all music has a really fascinating uh, origin story. And what really caught my attention with this, and sure enough, uh, is what happened is I was like, wait a minute, hip hop's only been around since like the 70s. These dudes are still alive. So it's four hours of the history of hip hop told by the people who started it. So it's mm. all these first-hand accounts of what actually happened. Yeah. And sure, there's probably some grandstanding about how big the parties were that they were throwing. Um, but you got to hear, like, you got to hear, um, oh gosh, I think his name's DJ Cool Herc, who is, pie, who is uh, often touted as throwing the first hip-hop party. And he figured out that if he just played the breakdowns of songs on his turntable, but he had two turntables, he could keep it going. Whereas before most DJs, if they wanted to play the breakdown and then replay the breakdown, they would have to pull the needle off the record. There would be silence and then they'd have to drop it back down on the breakdown. Drop it like it's hot. (laughs) Drop the needle. Yeah. Is that where that phrase came from? Um, probably. Or they don't talk about it really. Um, that's actually my, the big downside to it is it doesn't really get into the modern stuff so much. It like, it kind of stops with the early nineties and it's like, Whoa, that's what it like just started to take off, man. Like there's yeah. so much more from that yeah. on. Um, so I'm hoping they do more of them. Cause it just, it feels a little incomplete as a history of the genre to just kind of stop at Dr. Dre's first album. Like they don't even talk about Snoop Dogg's first album or Tupac or, uh, Biggie Smalls. It was like, Whoa, Wait, those aren't rap. Those are considered hip hop. It's the same. Oh, my mind is confused. <laughs> um, okay. And so, uh, but DJ Cool Herc figured out how to switch between two turntables at once to just keep that break going. Okay. And so he would, and so that started breakdancing, and that's why it's called breakdancing, because they would dance during the breaks of those songs. Uh, okay. um, and then he, he get you get into Grandmaster Flash, who figured out, oh, if I don't take the needle up, I can pinpoint where the break is more accurately by just using my fingers on the record. And he's the one who started scratching. Um, And so you just kind of see how all this stuff builds and builds and builds. And it was crazy organic. Like it just kind of happened. Yeah. Like no one really set out to do it. It just kind of started. Yeah. Um, And it started at a really important nexus um, as far as technology is concerned, because the technology was starting to get there to where we could do that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, now we have all these digital turntables, that act like real turntables, but you don't have to worry about damaging a record. Yeah. Because um, that was the, the big thing is you would ruin these needles and ruin the grooves in these records by doing this yeah. because they're not meant to be played that way. Yeah. Um, but it like it, it was it was really cool in the first couple episodes to see how they learned how to use the technology as an instrument, mm-hmm. and then in the next two episodes they kind of go from like okay we have the foundation of it here's how we monetize it, make it mainstream, and then have it explode. And the first three episodes all take place in New York, which is the birthplace of hip-hop. And then the last episode goes to L.A., where you had the guys like Ice-T and mm. Ice Cube and all those guys who were... They were they started, like, the gangster rap revolution and what that came out of and, mm. like, you know, that weird... The, the weird life those guys led where they were all in bands that were emulating Prince and they were dressing like Prince and parliament funkadelic and you know they show dr dre and dj yellow from nwa they show them in like this super square band i don't remember the name of it but they were like keytars and like big shiny gold suits and stuff i'll try to emulate 
Prince, Prince and stuff. yeah, they were all, and they interviewed one of the guys who was in that band, and he was like, we were just trying to dress as flashy as we possibly could, so we could get laid after the show. That was all we wanted to do. Oh, and then, uh, but these guys were going home, and they were going back to their houses that had all kind of crazy gang activity. And some of these guys were even in these gangs. And so as that started to rise and as crack became more of a problem in their neighborhoods, which led to more violence and more death, they were like, mm, maybe let's pump the brakes on the feel good, cool time stuff mm -hmm. and start talking about what's going on in our community. And so that's kind of like how it all birthed out of it. But it was just, it was really fascinating to watch it snowball from like party music mm -hmm into this kind of socially conscious thing and then back in the 80s back into party music and then hit the west coast in the 90s and transport transport back to the socially conscious thing like this it was this weird ebb and flow yeah. that you can kind of track throughout these four episodes so it's really interesting as a like yeah. if you're a music history nerd even if you don't like the music i would say it's probably worth a watch because yeah. it's just really cool seeing these guys that started everything you yeah. know it's very rare that you get interviews with the people who started it yeah i'd be curious to see especially if they do other seasons um what their commentary would be on what you're talking about gangster rap then which was like you're saying a social commentary mm -hmm. as opposed to now right which is uh, my limited knowledge pointless and stupid well and that's the thing is it kind of like it's it seems to always be a bubble, right? Because mm -hmm. you got the gangster rap from like NWA and um, Ice T and and that like all those West Coast rappers, and then eventually Tupac and, and Biggie Smalls. But at the same time, somehow that gangster rap is what made those things pop music all at the same time. When Dr. Dre's first album came out, it was the first rap record to hit the pop charts, hit number one on the pop charts, mm -hmm. and that's like as hardcore gangster rap as you could get. Yeah, and so. That was another big thing that I felt like they left out is, okay, so from there you have to track, like, Dre and Snoop Dogg and Tupac and Biggie all kept that gangster rap tradition alive, but then MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice take it in this super hardcore pop direction, yeah. and there's kind of another split right there, and so you get into these, like, different sub-genres, like, you, after, after... <laughs> After after gangster rap happens, you get all the different subgenres that we see now in yeah. hip hop, and so um, I feel like I mean it is a daunting task to put anything like that together. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm I'm hoping that the only reason they stopped there is because there's more to tell. There's more to tell, especially now because it's way easier to distribute your music. It's way easier to have a studio in your home. So there are all these guys on SoundCloud and YouTube and stuff who are just as good as those other guys. Yeah. But it's just harder to get your voice heard because it's so much noise. Yeah. Um, and so it's hard to like pick and choose. Like, how do we tell the story of how it evolves out of this and then goes into these like super branching directions? So hopefully they're figuring that out because I think it would be interesting to watch it. Yeah. Um, it's also it was also created by and uh, the guy who does all the interviews is a rapper. So I'm wondering if he thinks he might be a little too close to this era to really give it a good lens because mm -hmm. basically after where the, where the season ends after that, he um, it's basically kind of where his generation comes up. Okay. And so I'm wondering if he thinks he might be a little too in it to really have perspective on it yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely worth a watch. The guy does his research. Um, 
So it's it's really good. It's really thorough, uh, obviously, because he had four hours to tell this story. Uh, but yeah, if you're a music person uh, or like a music history nerd, it's definitely worth watching. Um, the guy who does it is super likable. I don't remember his name, but he's <laughs> he's super likable. Um, what else did I watch? Oh, I watched uh, Batman Return of the Caped Crusaders, the Batman 66 cartoon. What? The DC <laughs> DC animated the DC animation studios. Yeah. They got Adam West, Burt Ward, and Julie Newmar back together to do an animated old school Batman. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't hear about this? No. What? Yeah. It's like it's 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 an episode of Batman from nineteen sixty six, but just a cartoon. That's amazing. It's so great. It was so great. It was everything I could have hoped it would be. Whoever did this, like, did, it, there is so much TLC yeah. involved with this, and not the uh, lady hip hop group. Oh. <laughs> um, but they were all over the episode. Um, all the ridiculous puns, yeah. uh, all the alliteration, um, everything about it, and. My favorite thing about it is it gets really, really on a high horse about super dark brooding justice, Batman. <laughs> uh, they turn Adam West into that kind of Batman <laughs> through some sort of like, basically Catwoman slips him some, she calls it Batnip, but the jo- <laughs> oh, God. But, but the Joker like spikes it with some of his, his toxin. Yeah. Um, and so it gets into Batman's... Uh, bloodstream and over the course of the movie he turns into like the dark knight batman and like uh, it's just this whole commentary on how that kind of batman is actually kind of ridiculous um and so it's great it's definitely worth watching um i don't know if it's worth buying but it's definitely worth like give it a red box or a rent on itunes or something because it's it's hilarious man nice um and just that added layer of like they went after dark batman yeah was great yeah, so we're going to do our uh, new segment for the second yeah. time ever. Um, we didn't Mark get a calendars. chance. We didn't get a chance to do one on the last set because you weren't here. Um, mm-hmm. And we're doing our top five uh, comebacks. comebacks of all time. So uh, comebacks. All right, sorry, go is... ahead. <laughs> all right. Ryan's <laughs> mind just got blown. Uh, so comeback stories are kind of a driving inspiration and this movie is a little bit supposed to be mel gibson's comeback movie as Mm -hmm. far as we can tell or at least kind of setting him on the road uh much like uh robert downey jr and kiss kiss bang bang Mm -hmm. um but i think that limiting it to just movies would have been really hard it would have taken us all week to get uh our heads around so when we talked about this we open it up it can be anything music sports movies anything where someone has a like you think they're down the chips are down for them and then they come back Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what these are. These are our top five favorite instances of that, um, with kind of the stuff we love. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Ryan, if you, uh, yes, let me pull out my, my list. All right. Uh, let's start this bad boy off. So my number five, uh, I picked uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, uh, it's kind of on the nose, a little bit obvious, but I thought, you know, he had a rough patch and then came back, kiss, kiss, bang, bang, and then Iron Man blew up, and now he's, like, household name again. And yeah. So for me, that was kind of obvious. Like, that's a great comeback story, and he's a really good actor, so I think he, he deserves that. So my number five, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, um, when I was making this list ten minutes ago, I... Uh, <laughs> Spoilers! 
I wrote down six of them, and his was one of them, and he ended up being my honorable mention. So mm-hmm. he didn't quite make the top five for me, but uh, he made it. My number five is Johnny Cash. Uh, oh, do, do tell. So Cash had a rough period in the 80s. Well, he had a rough period in the later 70s and all through the 80s and kind of well into the 90s, too. <laughs> um, he he struggled with addiction kind of his whole adult life. Um, he kept getting clean. Like, you know, the Folsom Prison record is right after he got clean. Um, and then he got attacked by an ostrich. Okay. Yep. Uh, so what happened is Johnny Cash was... Uh, he he owned like a, a plantation in Jamaica and he would live there. That's where he lived most of the time was in Jamaica. And he was going out for a walk and there were there's just like wild ostriches out there. Mm-hmm. And ostriches are crazy territorial. Um, and so he walked across this ostrich's path and he was like, oh, damn. Like, I, <laughs> I am totally in this ostrich's space. Um, and so he grabbed a stick that he could use to fight off the ostrich on his way back because it was the easiest way back to his house for him. Yeah. And he, sure enough, he came across the ostrich again on his way back from his walk. And he had the stick and the ostrich charged him. And he wasn't able to react in time because ostriches are gigantic and, and their reach is like super long. Super fast. And they're super fast. And so the the ostrich caught him and cut him. It almost gutted him. Uh, he was wearing one of those big, like, you know, badass cowboy belt buckles. Yeah, yeah. And the doctors basically said that if he were wearing a smaller buckle, it would have ju- he would have just been eviscerated right there. Um, like his guts would have been on the floor. Um, and so he got attacked by this ostrich and ended up getting re-addicted to painkillers um because well you kind of need painkillers if you get a split open by an ostrich like there's almost no way to avoid taking painkillers yeah. um, but those were kind of his downfall in the 60s and they ended up being his downfall then uh and so he ended up kicking him again and actually kind of to tie it back in to uh the evolution of hip-hop series he started working with Rick Rubin, who's a legendary hip-hop producer. Mm-hmm. But Rick Rubin was a punk rock kid. Okay. Um, Rick Rubin was the DJ in the, De- in the Beastie Boys when they first started. So it was the Beastie Boys and DJ RR who was Rick Rubin. But he was just, like, this guy in, like, a leather jacket and Slayer t-shirts always. Man. But he produced, like, LL Cool J's first record. He discovered LL Cool J. He discovered... Uh, run dmc he started def jam records with russell simmons like rick rubin is the real deal in hip-hop music yeah and johnny cash started working with this guy on a (laughs) series of albums called american recordings and he started he kept doing american recordings basically until he died so him and rick rubin worked together in the later part of his life and he did three of them which were all pretty good and one of the things is rick rubin had him start covering old punk rock songs or old metal songs like he did rusty cage and a few others but then in american four came the big one which was hurt the cover of the nine inch nails song yeah and that thing i mean that thing still has staying power um it was just recently in the logan trailer yeah yeah yeah. and that's like a tenor like the song itself is over 20 years old at this point because nine inch nails did it in like 95 or 96 and then his version is like 11 years i think it came out in 2004 yeah um, on American Four, and so American Four like blew up huge for him, and then he died shortly after that. 
but he had so much material that they ended up releasing American 5 and American 6 and a box set called Unearth, which was just a bunch of outtakes of the American recording sessions. And then his son was cleaning out his estate and found like a box of stuff labeled Personal File. And it was all these just like weird acoustic recordings of songs that Johnny Cash loved that he just recorded for the hell of it. Yeah. Um, And so they started releasing all this unreleased material and even like posthumously he got all this stuff released. Yeah. Um, and so, like, that's that's one heck of a comeback, man. Yeah. Um, you're dead and you're still coming. Yeah. So that's my number five is Johnny Cash. I know that was kind of a long story, but... Oh, that's a pretty... I had no idea he was attacked Yeah, that ostrich. ostrich story is in his autobiography. That's crazy. Uh, my number four is... Um, uh, let me say it, then I'll, then I'll give my reasoning. Uh, my number four is The Force Awakens, the new Star Wars movie. Okay. Uh, and my, my thought process behind this is seeing it as a comeback is a lot of people hated the prequels mm-hmm. and a lot of people just thought, well, as long as I've got the three originals, I'm good. You know, the three new ones, they're crap, blah, blah, Me and you don't agree with that, but besides, yep. that's besides the point. Yep. I see The Force Awakens as a comeback for the genre and that it's got people excited again for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that people were ever not excited for Star Wars, but I mean like. It's like a pump of an, of uh, adrenaline into the American conscience once more. It's like, oh, Star yeah. Wars. And now every year, more Star Wars. So to me, like, Force Awakens is just like the gun firing off of the race. We're off to the races again. Yeah. Um, that might be a weak argument to call it a comeback, but to me it just kind of made sense. You know, this is it's comeback, and people are they're digging it once more. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, we'll talk about this next week. It's so crazy to me that people are excited for a Star Wars prequel because that is what Rogue One is. It is yep. a prequel. Yep. Um, and they have people super excited about it. It's going to be dope. Yep. Um, my number four is John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. Um, he was super popular in the 70s. Skyrocketed to fame off of uh, Welcome, ba- Welcome Back Cotter, the TV show. And then his uh, kind of his most his first notable starring role in Saturday Night Fever, um, which is really good. I just watched it this year um, mm-hmm. in earnest for the first time. I had seen it kind of on TV in high school and was like, "This is fine, I guess." But then I watched it this year and I was like, "Whoa, this movie is <laughs> not about what people think it's about." Yeah. Um, and then he obviously starred in Grease, which is a huge. I mean, that thing is still got legs. Uh, yeah. But he had kind of fallen into relative obscurity. And Tarantino, being a lover of all cinema from the 1970s, when he went to make Pulp Fiction, wrote the part of Vincent Vega with John Travolta in mind. He wanted to be the guy that brought Travolta back. Yeah. Um, And so he reached out, got Travolta involved. Travolta's in the movie. He's great. He did a lot of really smart things with Travolta in that movie. He really... He really understood how to write to Travolta's strengths, I think, mm-hmm. um, and wrote a character that is completely in line with any of the characters you associate with John Travolta. Yeah. But the big thing is he got him to dance again. Yeah. That's what put him on the map. Is yeah. he was a he's an excellent dancer. If you watch the Saturday in Saturday Night Fever, he does all his own dancing, and it's kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, you can see interviews with Tarantino about the making of the movie and he was like I knew that I had to get Travolta to dance again because that was the iconic Travolta that I had in my brain when I wrote this movie and I knew that if I could get him to dance again I would totally it would totally be his comeback yeah and it super was I mean yeah. he had a string of hits in the 90s after that yeah um, and I love Pulp Fiction obviously yeah and, and that's one of the most iconic scenes from the movie that's yeah what 
most people associate that movie with. Yeah, and I just think it's a really, um, you know, Travolta's really good in the movie, but I think part of it is Tarantino knew how to work with him just because of his love of the movies Travolta was in in the 70s. Yeah. And so I think it's just this really cool example of um, the artist knowing how to work, like, knowing how to use his canvas, basically. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so that's my number four is Travolta and Pulp Fiction. Travolta and Pulp Fiction, nice. Um, my number three is, uh, uh, a band and a brand new album that just came out this year, uh, Thrice, mm-hmm. which is my favorite band of all time, for those who don't know. And the new album t- uh, this year, To Be Everywhere is To Be Nowhere. Um, Thrice, I, like I said, one of my favorite bands of all time. They broke up a while back, lead singer went off and did his own thing for a while, and then just within the last couple of years, they got back together released this new album and it's amazing possibly the best album they put out really period in my opinion yeah uh it's just solid it's uh, amazing i love the the lyrics that he writes in there the the musical styling it's still very much thrice but more the the hesu mm-hmm. i think it's uh two three albums back yeah um that kind of style but it's heavy hitting and it's just it's an amazing album and you know uh, definitely a big, big comeback for them because yeah. they had been gone for I think two, three years, something like that. Yep. So that's that's my number three. three. Yeah, um, it's like four albums back, four or five, isn't yeah. it? Because they had like Beggars and Major Minor yeah. and the Alchemy Index, both parts and yeah, I think uh, Yellow Bellies. No, that was a single. Yeah, um, I know the band the album titles. I'm terrible with. Yeah, um, yeah, they're a good band. Uh, I was I was glad to see new music from them this year. Um, my number three is also a band. It is Green Day. Um, yeah. Specifically, uh, not their new record, which is... Uh, it's getting really good reviews. I wasn't super into it. Um, but American Idiot uh, is one of my favorite albums of all time. Mm. I feel you judging me. Just keep that. Here's the thing. <laughs> keep that in mind the next time you see me popping off on social media about any opinion that I have. You can just be like, you love Green Day. Period. And then you win the argument. <laughs> um, they're one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, and they came out with, with uh, American Idiot in 2004. Yeah, and oh my gosh, I was in high school when that yeah, came out. Movies, that that yeah, album's the... 12 years old, man. Oy. Uh, and it just hit at the perfect time for them to have a comeback. That album was monstrous. It was such a huge hit for them. And they had not had a huge hit in a long time. They were huge in 94 and kind of like by the end of the nineties, no one really cared about them anymore. They had recorded a whole album and the master tapes for them got stolen. There's a completely unreleased ready to go green day album out there somewhere that they can't find the master tapes for. And they were dealing with a lot of infighting in the band and they were getting ready to call it quits and then um, they ended up writing American Idiot. Mm-hmm. And it just, like, it launched them into a second phase of their career that was even bigger than their first. Yeah. Um, they, I mean, they ended up playing soccer stadiums in England off the, the power of that record. Like, two or three years after the record had come out. Dang. Yep. Um, I saw them on that tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what solidified them as one of my favorite bands. They're incredible live. Yeah. Like, they're just a really good pop punk show. Yeah. Um, and they know their stuff, man. Like, they know their music. Yeah. Um, it's not the most complicated. It's not the most intricate. It's not even the deepest. But it's really, really fun, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I play the drums, and, and I learned how to play that record backward and forward, man. <laughs> I played that thing 
from my junior year of high school when I first started listening to it, I played that thing every day until I graduated nice. high school. Like that was that was my thing when I came home from school. I didn't watch TV. I didn't have a snack. I went to that drum set and I played American Idiot straight through. Nice. Um, yeah, it was. So that's that was the album that taught me how to play the drums too. So it always <laughs> it always has a special place in my heart. So my number three is Green Day American Idiot. Nice, nice. Um, my number two is an actor. Uh, he's also a director, or he's done directing now, and that's Ben Affleck. Oh, yeah, um, I haven't even thought about that one. I, I was thinking about him, you know, he, he had a rough patch of movies a few years ago. Uh, you know, the, the movie with, oh, Jennifer Lopez, Gigli, and just a bunch of other poor choices he made, and then he kind of ducked out of the limelight for a while, and then he comes back. I can't remember, I can't tell you what the first movie was that it was kind of his comeback. I, uh. What was the first movie he directed? The first movie... So his comeback was, yeah, on the directing side of stuff rather than the acting side of stuff. Yeah. And it was... Um, uh, the Not The Town? Uh, Gone Baby Gone. Gone Baby Gone, okay. Which starred his brother, Casey Affleck. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and then the, the Town came after that, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so that was kind of his, his start of his comeback. And now the dude plays freaking Batman. Yeah. I mean... And of all the thing good the, of the one good thing that came out of Batman vs <laughs> Superman was Ben Affleck. He's Batman. really good, yeah. Like I buy that. I'm super stoked for his solo Batman movie that he's directing and writing with Jeff Johns, mm-hmm. who's an amazing, <coughs> excuse me, uh, comic book writer and just writer in general. So Ben Affleck, I think, deserves to be on this list. Come back, dudes. I still think he's a good actor and yeah, I do even too. better director. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I wasn't the hugest fan of Argo, but that is a very unpopular opinion to have. Mm. <laughs> um, it was okay, yeah. like it's it's good, but I didn't freak out about it the way a lot of people did. Yeah. Um, he's got a new one coming out this year called Live by Night that yeah. I really want to see. That looks really good. Kind of the gangsters, nineteen fifties. Yeah, kind of like setting. I think it's post. I think it's post World War Two, so forties. Okay. It's like 40s. he comes back from the war and there's not a lot of work anymore because we're not manufacturing stuff for the war yeah and so he becomes a criminal yeah, um yeah. basically so yeah i'm i'm looking forward to that i did that didn't even cross my <laughs> mind <laughs> um my number two is steve weeby and who like, three steve? of you got that reference weeby weeby i don't know uh so steve weeby is i don't know if he's the current record holder but at one point he was the record holder uh in the game donkey kong I'm with you. Keep going. <coughs> so there's a movie <laughs> called The King of Kong, colon, A Fistful of Quarters. <laughs> and it's all about Steve Weeby's attempt to get the record on Donkey Kong. The previous record was held by a guy named Billy Mitchell. Uh, and it's kind of all about Weeby trying to beat Mitchell's record, but Mitchell kind of like screwing with this guy. Like the history about the movie is a little dubious. It kind of seems like they may have done some clever edits to make Billy Mitchell seem a little bit worse than he actually is. Hmm. However, uh, Billy Mitchell makes such a great villain to Steve Weeby's like every man hero. And Steve Weeby had had, he was a star baseball player in high school. He got a full ride scholarship to college. His first year playing in college, he blew his arm out and he wasn't able to play anymore. Um, he uh, he was a super talented musician, his, uh, and he started pursuing that after his college career. Um, and baseball ended, he started becoming very serious about his music, started getting popular, 
And then he found out that his girlfriend was pregnant with their first child. And so he decided to put that all on hold and marry her and raise his family and focus on being a father and yeah. uh, just kind of went into this pencil-pushing career. And his wife was always kind of like, ah, you were so talented. Like, you you always deserved more than this. Mm. And uh, so then he that's when he discovered, like, like, arcade game records, basically. And he ended up with a Donkey Kong machine and tried to set the record on it and by the end of the movie he does set the record on it and nice. so it's great uh it's a really good movie try and track it down i don't know if it's available on streaming anywhere okay um i know my wife and i watched it last christmas on hulu i don't know if it's still on there or not oh, okay. but the king of kong a fistful of quarters steve weeby rules he's so easy to root for also one of his favorite songs of all time is billy joel scenes from an italian restaurant and that mm. makes him a-okay in my book <laughs> Um, so my number two is Steve Weeby. Uh, number one, Ryan. Number one. All right. Now this one uh, replaced my original number one because that was my big oh moment when you were talking in the beginning. Uh, it's got to be said. The greatest comeback in 2016, and I, you know, for the last decade or whatever, has got to be the Chicago Cubs winning oh. the World Freaking Series. Yeah, for sure. That's got to be right at the tippity top. Yeah, uh, that's my number one. I got to I got to watch the World Series uh, all all seven. It was not, it went yeah, all it been all seven. I got to watch uh, all the games, uh, and Game Seven, man, nail biter, best baseball yeah. game I've ever seen. Yep, so amazing. So, are you a baseball guy? I am now. I wasn't before. Okay, um, I'm not a sports guy. Period. But yeah, baseball has won me over. Okay, because baseball. I've heard Tom Vassell say this. Tom Vassell, board game reviewer. We mm-hmm. haven't talked about that. But anyways, guy on YouTube. Uh, baseball is the mo- is the sport that's the most like a board game. Oh, and yeah. And so that's what sparked his interest. And I've always kind of watched baseball. I went to Dodger games and stuff like that. So, But just like this year, I've actually started to understand what the heck is going on. Yeah. And all the intricacies and the rules. So baseball fan through and through and a Cubs fan. Um, so, yeah. My number one, the Cubs. Yeah, that was man. I was working a, uh, I was working two jobs while that was happening, and um, I was working at a music venue at the time. And the music venue had live music every night of the week. And I have never seen a group of people more disinterested in a band <laughs> than, that, than that night. Uh, yeah. Everyone's heads were turned towards the bar, watching the screens. Yeah. And our CEO had, was eating dinner that night. And it is a popular country music venue, and we were nominated for either, uh, it's it's owned by a radio station, and we were nominated, I think, for Radio Station of the Year. We may have been nominated for Nightclub of the Year, but I, I know for sure we were nominated for Radio Station of the Year at the Academy of Country Music Awards yeah. that same night. And so our CEO, who was eating dinner with his whole family that night, was like, okay, here's what I want you to do. Before the band starts, put it on the baseball game, on the big projectors that we have. Yeah. And then when the band takes their first break, their only break, really, because they only play two sets on a weeknight, when the band takes their break, put up the ACMs to see if maybe our award comes up while uh, while they're on break. Yeah. Oh. So. Did a mob ensue? Well, so what happened <laughs> is we kept it on the game in the booth. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the whole time the show was going on, we were just watching a monitor with the, the game on it. Yeah. And... Uh, the the first break hit and our CEO comes up the stairs and he goes, put it on the game. And so we put the game back up on the big screens. And that was when it was that was when it was tied. Yeah. yeah. Um 
And so it was just like a nail biter, like you said. And the band came back up and we took, we, we had to take it off the screens because we showed the band playing on the big screens and people got furious. People Uh. got so mad. And so the, the, um, the lead singer of the band went and talked to the manager and was like, can we still play, but have the game up on the screens? And they were like, yes. So they played and we kept the game on the screens and I've never seen a band so distracted in my life. <laughs> Playing. <laughs> they like they had their backs basically turned to the audience while they were while they were playing these stupid songs. Well, I mean, no one's really paying attention. No one was paying attention at all. That's no awesome. one was paying attention at all. They got a brief reprieve when they got rained out. They had that rain delay in the middle of the yeah, game for yeah, a little yeah. bit. But yeah, it was hilarious. It was so funny. And then <sighs> the end of their set timed perfectly with the end of the game, which nice. I thought was kind of great. Uh, so yeah, we were, we were at work, uh, watching the Cubs win the world series and that was, that was like a cool time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, my number one is what? No, I'm sorry. Waiting with bated breath. My number one (laughs) is Matthew McConaughey. Oh, yeah. Do tell. The McConaissance, which you made famous on this do, podcast. McConaissance. McConaissance. So that guy had basically been relegated to rom-coms that feature posters where he can't stand his on his own two feet. Um, <laughs> That's true. And... He had started out kind of promisingly. He was in a freaking Spielberg movie. He was an Amistad as a lawyer. He's great in that movie. He's so good. And he's in one of my favorite horror thrillers of all time. A great movie called Frailty. Yeah. Uh, written and directed by Bill Paxton. Um, and I thought he was great in that movie. And then, for whatever reason, he started taking Failure to Launch. And 10... 10, 10 how to Lose a Guy in 10, ga- <laughs> ten Gays? Ten. ten Days. Ten Days. Uh, uh, was he in that movie Ghosts of Girlfriends Past? Is that a thing that he was in? I think he was. Yeah. So he was just like in all these weird rom-coms and then like Sahara randomly. Um, oh, that's a terrible and, movie. Yeah. And so everyone, he was kind of a punchline for a while. Mm-hmm. And then he did this movie called Dallas Buyers Club where he played a, uh, a guy who came down with AIDS, a straight guy, um, and homophobe actually who is a true story um he got aids from um from a, a woman and he didn't even realize that was possible because it was we were just kind of learning about aids as a disease yeah and he lost a bunch of weight for the role um you know he's great in that movie he's it's an excellent performance i think he ended up winning an oscar for it um pretty sure um mm-hmm. and that kind of started this whole revolution in matthew mcconaughey's career um yeah. He was in True Detective. Uh, he was in Interstellar. He was in a bunch of stuff. And, like, I was for sure, like, I thought the boat had passed on that guy. And mm. then I saw Dallas Buyers Club and I was like, where has this guy been his whole career? Like, yeah. this dude, that dude, that's a dude who should have been winning Oscars since 1997. Yeah. Um, uh, he's in, is he in Ghost in the Darkness or Ghost in Mississippi? I don't know. I remember he was in the movie called Mud. Yeah, he was in that. That was another part of it, too, is he was in Dallas Fires Club and Mud back-to-back. Yeah. Um, and it just, like, signaled this huge career change for him. And now, like, basically anything he puts out, I'm going to go see. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen the two he came out with this year because apparently they're not very good. Mm. Uh, Free State of Jones and, and Sea of Trees. Oh. Um, but, yeah, Matthew McConaughey, like, that dude will get my butt in a movie theater all the time. Yeah. 
Uh, which is not something I anticipated saying based on how his career what, was going. What had come before. I yeah. mean, he's he he is a straight up excellent actor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I like that guy. Oh, another honorable mention: Colin Farrell. Yeah. Yep. I can see it. Yeah, we kind of got some oversaturation of Colin Farrell, and then he took a few years off uh, and came back, and he's been great in everything, basically, yeah. since he came back. Leonardo DiCaprio, same story. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> now that we're done with the list, I'm thinking of all the ones I could have chosen. <laughs> ah, that's all right. Um, but yeah, so that's our top five, and the reason we chose that is because uh, uh, Bloodfather is kind of mm-hmm. a comeback movie for Monk Gibson, and we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back to talk about Bloodfather. Not Popeye. And we're back, and we're here to talk about the movie Bloodfather. Uh, it's a movie from 2016, stars Mel Gibson uh, and Diego Luna and William H. Macy and Michael Parks and mm. a girl whose name escapes me. Mm. Um, I'd never mm. seen her before. Um, and basically it's about Mel Gibson plays this ex-con recovering alcoholic, uh, down-on-his-luck guy whose daughter went missing a few years ago. Um, he's living in a trailer park, making a living, a meager living, but a living as a tattoo artist, just kind of trying to do right. Uh, he doesn't want to go back to prison. He's kind of left that life behind him. He's a he's an ex biker gang member, mm-hmm. um, and his daughter, in the time she had run away, ends up involved with the Mexican drug cartels, hmm. um, and she ends up dating the nephew of of a one of the the padrinos of the of the the cartel and she shoots him in the neck and his henchmen don't take kindly to that so she ends up on the run from them and he ends up she ends up tracking her father down and they end up kind of on the run from this mexican gang mm-hmm. um so that's the basic story of it um and it's one of those uh i, I saw a great uh subgenre heading for this uh called jerry action <laughs> oh yep uh for the geriatric action movie. Um, yep, yep. And yeah, that's kind of what it is. Um, you know, stars Mel Gibson, uh, mm-hmm. who himself has led a troubled life uh, yeah. in recent years. And um, yeah, so what did you think about Bloodfather? I actually really liked it. And the more I think of, the more I kind of think back and reflect on it, the more I like it. Um, I think, I, to me, this felt like, I felt like a love letter from Mel Gibson. It felt like it had a bunch of different homages to different things he's done. Like, there's a moment in the movie that reminded me of kind of Lethal Weapon, that kind mm-hmm. of style. Mm-hmm. And then there was a moment in the movie that reminded me of kind of like a Mad Max kind of moment. Yeah. And then a moment, you know, that's kind of stuck with kind of the revenge. The, the whole movie's about a, not a father seeking revenge, but, you know, that kind of, I'm going to get the bad guys. There was, you know, it's kind of all this jumbled thing, and I felt like. Like, all the things that he's really good at in one movie. It wasn't just, like, a Mad Max movie or a Luther Weapon crazy guy movie. It was, like, all these things in one. And Mel Gibson brought it. Like, he was amazing in the movie. I really thought he he had a lot of pathos to him. He had, you know, an interesting character to follow and kind of his fall from grace and kind of where he was now and then just doing everything he could just to save this estranged daughter who's in drugs and kind of following a similar path that he went on and him just like um 
my one of my favorite lines is where he says, you know, give me a week and I'll give you everything I got, yeah. which is foretelling in the whole movie oh, what yeah. he's willing to do. Like, yeah. I'll give you everything I have just to save you. Um, and I love I love those kind of movies. You know, father, son, father, daughter, that, that familial, is that the right mm-hmm. word? Um, kind of thing, and that had it in spades. But the thing I did not like about the movie was the girl. Oh. I thought she was just terrible. Um, like, I, I just didn't buy the performance. It felt, her performance also just felt really awkward to me. Yeah. Juxtaposed to, like, Mel Gibson, kind of just very fluid, natural. Like, Mm -hmm. she just seemed very stale. And at first I thought, okay, because at the beginning of the movie she's stoned and she's coming down from that. I thought, okay, maybe that's an acting choice. Like, she's acting like that to fit. So I kind of let it go for a while. But then after she was sober... It continued. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, that's just how she's performing. Yeah. So, but overall, I loved it. And the more I think about it, the more I just love the movie. So, what did you think of it? I really like this movie. I was crazy into this movie from the beginning. Um, Part of it is I knew it was an hour and 28 minutes headed in. And I was like, this thing's got to be lean and mean. And it was both of those things. Um, it's not actually particularly gory, like the type of gory we come to expect from Mel Gibson, I think. Yeah. Um, but it's violent and brutal and like yeah. kind of bone crunching. Um, yeah. Like you feel it when action. It's dark. It's yeah, definitely yeah, a dark tale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was great. Uh, I do agree with you that her performance isn't that great, but I will also say the editing isn't super kind to her either. It's mm. kind of edited not the best. Mm. It's forgivable because it's kind of an indie action movie. So, you know kind of probably people just starting out in their careers um but yeah they cut they cut on her especially on some weird lines like where it feels like she either should have kept going or like they cut her off in the middle of a sentence like it just there's some cuts that happen where you're like i feel like there was more to that than you're showing me but whatever um mel gibson's incredible in this movie he's so freaking good From, from scene one with him yeah yep all the way through yep um the villain I didn't like so much only because, uh, not because they dropped my style, um, because he had an arc very similar to mine from the movies that we make, um, <laughs> but because he's in the movie for the first five minutes and he gets shot in the neck and you think he's dead, but I immediately knew he wasn't dead. There's a big kind of reveal later on in the movie mm-hmm. that he hasn't died. He's just... It's taken him a really long time to heal, um, but now he's at a spot where he can come in after her himself. I didn't like that because they telegraph it so hard by the casting. Diego Luna is too big of a name, and his name is on the cover of the movie. Yeah. And so you're like, mm. well, there's no way Diego Luna got billing in this movie for being in it for three minutes. Mm. Um, and so I just kind of like, they really telegraph it by casting such a well-known actor. Yeah. Um, I understand it. He's a really good actor. Um, he's really charismatic. You, you know, I, I like watching Diego Luna act. So even when he died, there was a moment where I was like, that's stupid. Oh, he's going to come back. Got it. Mm. <laughs> um, so I, I kind of had some problems with that, but I thought this movie ruled like i thought mm. mel gibson was so dope in this movie yeah. um he gets some great lines it's hilarious yeah. in certain parts like it's <laughs> it's way funnier than i thought it was gonna be he gets some great one-liners um he's because he, he's just like not having any of anybody's <laughs> bs yeah um, and he starts out very patient with his daughter but then it quickly devolves into nope 
what's going on? Yeah. But in a much more Mel Gibson way of saying it. Yes, definitely. Um, and he just has like zero patience for anyone else. Like yeah. he's the most patient with her and then everyone else. He's at the end of his rope with them immediately. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so that's kind of, it was just kind of great to see him acting like that. Uh, yeah. He's gigantic in this movie. It's ripped. He got jacked for this movie. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really, really like this movie. Um, it's kind of light because it is an hour and 28 minutes. That's yeah. not a bad thing by any stretch of it the imagination. Moves. It moves. Everything kind of feels like it has momentum. There's a weird little lull in the middle where they go to his former biker gang leader. Yeah. Like his old bro- his 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 old comrade. And, you know, you kind of get a little backstory there. But I was kind of like, ah, were you killing time? What's going on? Yeah. And then they bring it back later and I like pay that off. Yeah. Um, that's a great scene. It is great. Uh, and so I always wondered if you had the guts to come back. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Um, and so that, that part I was a little iffy on until they circled back around to it. And I was like, okay, like you earned it at that point. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's an excellent performance. Um, yeah. It's not like an earth-shatteringly great movie, but it's a mm-hmm. riot. Like, it is so much fun to watch. It is. Um, and we talked about this a little off-mic. Uh, it's the best Christian movie of 2016, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Christians will not agree with us. But... Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Um, <laughs> there's, it's, it's, I feel like it's a very real portrayal of someone who's led a hard life and trying to do right in their faith. Yeah. Because um, it's not easy. It's not easy for people who are steeped in it, and it's especially not easy for people who are new to it. Um, And so you got to have some grace with those kinds of people, and I think that's one thing that we kind of miss a lot um, as the church, and I think this movie is a very honest portrayal of that, that type of person. Um, Broken and lost people looking for redemption, looking for kind of hope. Yeah. Um, but in a very raw, real sense, not on that kind of Christianese, like, I'm looking for redemption. What'd you do? I stole a candy bar. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, this is a guy who has done some stuff. Yeah. Um, and this is a girl who has done some stuff. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, he's, she's got that line where she's like, I'm a murderer. And he's like, I know, I know you are. And then he's also got that, I think it's in the safe scene. He's also got that great line. And, uh. Where she's apologizing to him for getting him involved in all this. And he's like, oh, hell, this is a party for scumbags like me. He was like, I haven't had this much fun since I was stealing cars when I was 15. And I was like, yeah. Like, <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I think it's, it's uh, I don't know. I think it's just a really good story of a guy trying to do right um, after doing so much wrong. Yeah. And... You know, it kind of parallels, I think, Mel's life a lot, Um, especially the recovering alcoholic stuff. That's what got him in trouble in the first place. Um, You know, and so I think, I don't know, I I really like this character. Um, And I think that it does show a lot of uh, him as a person. I think he's laid bare in this movie. Um, I think the ultimate end of it uh his character dies and i think that's the only way it could have gone down um i kind of like that it was the story of the prodigal family you know what i mean like they both kind of they're both coming back yeah exactly they're both coming back um and i liked that kind of even playing field that they have yeah yeah that last scene with him and her gave me the feel like yeah strong emotions um Especially when he kind of broke down and really said, because he's a very, in the movie, he's very gruff. Yeah. 
doesn't tell you his emotions, just tells you facts. Yeah. And this is the way it's going to be. But in that moment, it was that classic Mel Gibson of just vulnerability and just mm-hmm. sharing his feelings with her. Like, I'm sorry I wasn't there for you and I should have been there. And then her saying, well, I'll go get help. And then him very vulnerably just like, no, don't don't leave me. I'm about to shove off this mortal coil. Yeah. And I want you next to me. It's just, it was a beautiful moment. Yeah, yeah, it's, I it's, agree. It's sad. Uh, yeah. It's not a movie you watch on a Saturday morning like Yoga Hosers. <laughs> it's, it's deep and kind of like, oh my gosh. I remember watching it and just feeling depressed. Yeah, <coughs> I um, Is that the scene where he says you were raised by three different stepfathers? It should have been me. It was either that scene or the previous scene. Okay, I really like that scene where he he says you were raised by three different stepfathers and it should have been me. And I was like, man, dang, yeah. Like, I um, am fortunate enough to have not been in that position, but I know plenty of people who were. Maybe not three different stepfathers, but I know a lot of people who had, like, a lot of step-parent figures in their lives. And, like, it was hard for them. Um, And so, I don't know. I really, really like this movie. Um, I think it's absolutely worth a watch. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. I'm glad we had a a hole in our schedule to talk about it. Um, Go see it, man. Yeah. Uh, Go Go check it out. It's on, uh, you can, I think it might be on Netflix. Really? I could be be wrong. I thought I saw it on there. Okay. Um, But I know it's definitely for sale on DVD, Blu-ray. Yeah. Go go check it out. It's amazing. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, that'll do it for us today. Yeah. and um, you can find me on Twitter at MJSmith891. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about... Uh, nope, that's about to be Superman. <laughs> John Williams. John Williams, Williams. Hey, it counts. Um, we're going to be back next week to talk about uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. And we have a very, very special guest joining us. Yeah. Uh, a very familiar name round of these parts. And I'll let you think about who that is. It should be very obvious to you <laughs> if you're any sort of a regular listener. Um, but yeah, uh, that's next week. Uh, we're also going to be doing a mini episode probably about La La Land because I have that movie pegged as my (laughs) favorite. If this movie isn't my favorite movie of the year, I will be very surprised. Um, yeah, let's see. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MJSmith891. Uh, you can find the show on Facebook, the Before and After Show. You can find uh, everything we do at www.thatrealperspective.blogspot.com. That's that R-E-E-L perspective.blogspot.com because movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Beyond Pod if you're an Android user. You can find our YouTube show every week on YouTube. Just look up the Before and After Show. Uh, this week, this whole month, it's awards month. Uh on the before and after show on youtube last week you heard us talk about our most disappointing movie of the year this week you'll hear us talk about our most surprising movie of the year a movie we didn't think we would like as much as we would and then we did (laughs) um and yeah you can find my writing every week at least on um www.wordofthenerd.com i just wrote a top 10 list of uh, classic films, classic nerd cinema that you should watch. And uh, it just went up today uh, as of the time of this recording. So it's out. You should go watch it uh, or read it. And uh, I had a lot of fun writing it. I hope you guys check out some of the movies on there. I hope you guys read the piece at all. Um, And yeah, until next time, uh, go watch Bloodfather. Whoa. Hi. Hi. Who's your daddy? Who's your papa? Your father. (laughs) Padre. (laughs) Is that what we're going through?
That's staying, by the way. <laughs> Makana-san. Makana-san. <laughs> <laughs>